0: is going on everybody welcome to another horrific podcast a podcast that may be coming out more frequently as we move along here in the summer of 2021 and the reason why i say that is because lots of things are happening lots of interviews that uh, are waiting to be featured panels comic cons are back in a vengeance like it's too much for me to keep up with. In all honesty, like we are, <clears throat> the channel is overwhelmed with the amount of stuff we are trying to do and get done and out to you guys. And uh, that kicks off with more tomorrow. We did the uh, uh, Warner Brothers tour. That's on the tribute show right now on both horrific and tribute show channels, and then. We have announced the first dates, a slew of them in fact, to this year's Haunt Tour and the reason why that goes real well with this week is because, as I'm sure you'll hear us talk about the updates to the news on Campfire Chronicles Wednesday, and we will be doing the entire Fear Street Trilogy now that the final one has come out. But all of that leads into my guest, our our guest, a panel featuring the great RL Stein today, which is awesome. I'm sure that uh, you guys are going to enjoy it. He talks, you know, the 90s and goosebumps and Fear Street, sure, the success that it's having, uh, all of it. So... Stay tuned for that here shortly. But right now, let's get in to our haunt season schedule thus far. Right now, it all starts out the way that we have it planned, at least. It's all going to kick off on the uh, 11th of October. And it will uh, definitely be um, one for you guys to not forget for sure. Haunt season, uh, definitely my favorite time. And it definitely will kick off with the first ever, not opening day, but opening weekend, Hollow Scream in SeaWorld Orlando. So I'm excited to see... What happens there? That's on September 11th. September 13th, HHN 3 from the HHN Vault. The 14th, Grotty's Horror Houses on Roblox as well. 17th of September, HHN 4 from the HHN Vault. The 24th, we will be covering the HHN Bar and Jacked Up experience from Uh, cabana bay the 25th halloween horror nights 30 september 25th i cannot fucking wait also on the 26th i will be at hhn 30 but for most of the day we're doing the sixth house unmasking the horror tour i can tell you right now that episode will be there early you're going to see pictures from it early but that is the season finale of haunt season so that'll be a great way to reflect upon everything at the end of the year. Um. So that's on the 26th. I'm also going to HHN30 that evening as well. So if you're in the park that 25th, 26th weekend, hit me up, man. The 30th of September, Pirates of Emerson. The 30th for their 30th. I am excited about that. That is in Livermore. Hollywood Screen Fest 4, as of right now, is scheduled for October 8th. That could and probably will change, but they announced their dates, and I'm thinking it's probably going to be the weekend before. Uh, as a matter of fact, we can go ahead and just put that, make that right now. Because the 8th and 9th is that weekend is going to have something big. So October 1st, Hollywood Scream Fest 4. <clears throat> October 14th, we're going to be doing a H- H- uh, Halloween Kills meetup in Modesto. our uh, October 15th, I will be at Higby Horror Haunt. The 16th of October, we have something cool that we will announce here shortly. Um, the 20th of October, Fright Sanity Scream Park. The 29th of October, a Nightmare Before Christmas in concert experience with Danny Elfman, and October 30th, Halloween Horror Nights 2021. The year without a Horror Nights will definitely be a long, you know, remembered one. But you know, we're packing in a significant amount of our haunt coverage into. That So, and with that, also that's not including the Han events that I know the Higbies, uh will record for us. And when we know more about uh, what they are doing, I will post that. There are more events to come. That's already, I want to say, 15 shows that are going to be coming out starting in mid-September and just going our biggest haunt season ever so stay tuned for it man news wise and all of that if we do another one of these this week i will put more of that in there and with that let's get into our guest rl stein hang loose
1: in the Goosebumps series, please welcome Tim Jacobus.
2: What's up? How's it going today, Patty?
1: I am good. Tim,
2: how, how are I'm you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, man. It's I I have really I've really been enjoying your work for such a long time. Um, you got some great stuff on your website, and I highly recommend everybody checking that out. And um, before I bring out the writer, I had one art question I want to throw out to you. And um, I was just curious. Uh, when did you begin to switch uh, to embrace and switch to digital?
2: Oh good question yeah it was uh, around 2003 uh, the the art business changed real fast the book business and um, I had been kind of playing around with with the computers and it was not an easy transition. Um, it was probably my least favorite time in my career because I had got the traditional art together and I had a, a real system technique, everything. and then they handed me all these new tools and I got a you know a rock in my hand and I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing here. So a uh, lot of frustrations, a lot of yelling, but uh, eventually it came around and once it did, I really enjoy working digitally now. It gives me a, a whole other avenue to pursue. So having both sets of tools, the traditional and the digital have been a real actually a, a gift in the long run.
1: And, and and kudos to you for sticking with it to make that transition. Um, a, 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 a lot of guys
2: didn't. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a hard choice for some, and a, a lot of guys decided just to go the uh you know the fine art realm. Uh, I still felt that there was a lot to do in the you know in the <laughs> commercial world, and I knew that was where we were going. Um. Yeah, it was a a, it was a a worthwhile transition. And now that we're there, it's so easy. If you and I were doing a job together, and I had given you a traditional painting and said, "Hey, you know, what do you think?" and you said, "Ah, this is great. Can you change the background from green to blue?" Yeah, I would have said, "Okay, I'll talk to you in a week." Yeah. (laughs) And now in the digital world, while we were talking, I could hit a couple of things and go, "Hey, how about this? Does this work for you?" So. Um, yeah, it's a it, it's it's a great tool for doing stuff collaboratively.
1: Absolutely. And uh, again, kudos, kudos from uh, going from English to metric fittings on your toolbox. <laughs> 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 uh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. And our next guest, he is a novelist and screenwriter whose body of work includes such series as Fear Street, Rotten the School, Mostly
3: Ghostly and The
1: Nightmare Room. Today joins us as the author of The Goosebumps. Please welcome R.L. Stein.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Patty. i tell you about transitions. I mean, when I started out, uh, we didn't have books. We only had (laughs) parchment. We had had to unroll them. We we should unroll them. That That was a big advance from tablets. Uh,
1: there you go, I mean, I, I, I remember the town crier being like, it's not, it's now like I have two chickens you know, every week for the royal feast, so, uh, R.L., how are you, sir?
3: I'm all right, I'm hanging in.
1: Oh, so glad to have you here, and um, just real quick, uh, just a couple things, um, first of all, thank you for Bananas Magazine.
3: Well, thank you, <laughs> thanks <for> <laughs> <wanting>. <laughs> Well, yeah. I used to be funny. I was funny for a long time. Now I'm not. <laughs> oh, I, I, I
1: think so far you've proven your humor, but uh, no, I, I I was I was describing that to, to some folks in the office. Like, no, you gotta understand, Bananas Magazine was at every school library growing up in, in my generation, and it was they were they, yeah, it was it was there. It was fun. It was a great energy to it, and uh, I also have to thank you for uh, your work on Eureka's Castle.
3: Well, I thank you for bringing up all these things. A lot of people don't realize that I was head writer of Eureka's Castle. Uh, You know, they just brought them back. You can see that I think there are 37 episodes of Eureka on Paramount Plus now. Oh. They haven't been around for ages. No, it really kind of, yeah, I a very, very dear friend of
1: mine, uh, right after we got out of film school, one of his early puppeteering gigs was on uh, Eureka's, so uh,
3: so yeah, yeah. Well, that was fun. I, you know, Eureka's Castle, for those who didn't see it, it was a lot like Sesame Street, only we didn't teach them anything. <laughs> and, uh, no, it was, it was, I think, actually, every time they watched, they lost a few IQ points. <laughs> very, very proud, very proud of that show, that's my whole career. <laughs>
1: Well, I think that kind of speaks to to uh, I think one of the strengths of, of Goosebumps, because and I think you've you've got a record before saying that you weren't out to teach morals or anything; you were just out to engage and entertain and thrill. Is that
3: uh, a fair assessment? Yeah, very fair. I I don't try to teach anything. I mean, there aren't any vocabulary words in Goosebumps. You don't even learn you don't learn words. You don't learn anything. I, you learn to run mainly. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only lesson in Goosebumps, is you run. But uh, no, I always think, you know, adults are allowed to read all kinds of things that aren't enlightening, aren't broadening. You're allowed to read things that aren't uplifting. Why can't kids have that same choice? Why can't kids read just for entertainment? And that's what I've always tried to do.
1: Absolutely fair. I think you have thoroughly succeeded, and again, uh, Goosebumps and our audience—a uh, testament to that. Uh, let me ask you guys both this: um, a common question people always get asked, I'm sure you ask this too, is, "You know, oh, did you always know Goosebumps was going to be a success when you were doing it?" Uh, I always like to take that question, transpose it, say, "When did you begin to realize that it might have not only hit expectations, it might have begun to exceed them?"
3: Yeah, I, here's when I knew something was going on and i have to tell you in the beginning see i didn't i didn't want to do goosebumps that's the kind of businessman i am i was afraid it would mess up (laughs) pierre street and i didn't want to i didn't want to do a younger series they had to talk me into it but about a year into it i was doing um a book signing at a bookstore in my hometown columbus ohio and i was in the car on my way to the bookstore and I was in a terrible traffic jam, and I was really upset. Um, I'd never been late for a book appearance. I'd never been late. I knew people were waiting, and I'm stuck in this traffic jam. And then I looked at the other cars, and they were all filled with kids. They were all coming to see me. And I realized I made the traffic jam, and that's) <laughs> That's when I first realized something was going on here with these books.
1: Oh, wow. Nice. Tim, what did you get an inkling that, oh, I, uh, wait, we Would do another one. Hey, why don't you do another
2: one? What do I... <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, I didn't cause any traffic jams, but um, when I realized it was, uh, so, you know, there was no internet back then. There was no way to check on any stats or anything like that. And, uh, you know, uh, you work alone in your house, and I'm just putting them out. I'm happy that they're saying there's another book. There's another book. So to me it was going great, but I had no idea how popular it had become. Uh, I went over to a friend's house for dinner, and they all had kids. I had no kids, and they had kids who were goosebumps age. And we're sitting there at the table and, you know, eating some dinner, and then at some point goes, well, what are, you, what are you working on now? And I'm going, ah, I'm working on this thing. I don't know. You might know it. And uh, I uh, said it, it's called Goosebumps. And it was like on a TV show where everybody drops their fork and they all stare at me, are you kidding? And then they're screaming to the other room. The kids all came running in with the books. And then I realized, oh, wow, this is this is something.
1: <laughs> Suddenly dinner became an EF Hutton commercial. hundred <laughs> well, percent. Outstanding. What, uh, what's the best memory that you both uh, have taken from uh, being a part of Goosebumps?
3: Oh, I have too many. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I've had so many exciting things because of Goosebumps. I'm, I had a five-city tour of China for all the wow. Goosebumps fans in China. The kids there were amazing. That was, that was a wonderful thing. I did um, uh, a book fair in Brisbane, Australia, and thousands of kids came. I've had just so many. One of the big thrills of my life is we had our own Goosebumps attraction at Disney World for a year. We had Goosebumps Horrorland in yeah. Orlando. I had my own land. Can you imagine? Yeah. That was a thrill for me the last one year, but it was a nice year. Absolutely. That's 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 more
1: than more That's more than a lot of people can say. Absolutely. So uh Tim, how about you?
2: What do you uh I think please? uh the thing that's caught me uh or surprised me the most is what's going on now. Yeah, you know, we're we're 25 years past, uh, you know, when this was uh initiated and when it was popular and the the kids who come out now to, you know, comic conventions or, you know, who reach out through, you know, social media to say how much Goosebumps meant to them and still holds a, you know, a special place in their heart. That's a, that's an amazing thing. I, I have a real hard time getting past that. I, I it's, it's still very, it's astounding.
1: Uh, leading up to this event, I found out uh, how many of my friends on my social media were fans of Goosebumps at you guys because they, they, they don't comment any other stuff. But I was like, you're, you're doing the Goosebumps guy? Blah, blah,
3: blah. Yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing thing. It really is wonderful. Next year is the 30th year of Goosebumps. Wow. 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 What, looks, what lasts for 30 years? Please.
0: Uh, I
3: don't know. I ran out of stories about ten years ago. (laughs) Uh, Somehow we have to keep going, right? (laughs) Uh, Too much.
1: much. Now, Tim, you've got uh, you got something in the works. You have an art of Goosebumps uh,
2: book, correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, So here, as this many years into it, um, we Dynamite Book uh, bought the rights up to the the Goosebumps uh, original art and we're featuring the first uh, 62 Goosebumps covers. Um, What's nice about it, it isn't just the cover art. Uh, We also included the original sketches uh, for each of the uh, Goosebumps covers. When I did Goosebumps covers, I would always submit three ideas. So there are two unseen uh, concepts for each of the Goosebumps books. And uh, so, yeah, in another in another world or another dimension, there were different Goosebumps covers that could have been on the books. Mm. Um, So it's a it's coming out in October. Uh, It's a nice oversized book, color art on every page. So I think the you know, the 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 real Goosebumps fan is going (laughs) to really dig this. Outstanding.
1: And since our audience knows, you reported to an art director, uh, RL reported to an editor, and so you guys really did not have a chance to commensurate between the two of you on on this collaboration. It was always your side of the fence and my side of the fence, right?
3: Listen, Tim and I didn't meet for three years. (laughs) How many books did we do? By that time, we were already doing a a book a month. Absolutely. 12 books a year. And we hadn't even met. Usually, you know, publishers don't want the artist to meet the writer. They try to keep. They try to keep you apart. We actually met only because of the TV series.
1: Mm.
3: It was the first prime time on Fox Kids, Fox, the first Goosebumps TV show, The Haunted Mask, and they had a an opening night party at the Notorious Club, the Limelight. Right, it's it's the long life. remember mm. the long way, absolutely. And we had a big party to open for the opening of the TV show, and that's where Tim and I met finally. Wow! And I
2: was just, I went there, I, I didn't go there to meet him, I just went there because I heard he was there and I was going to get a chance to hear him speak. And then when I got in the room, the room was packed, and I was going, uh, you know, where can I sneak to? to you know to get a better view and i saw this you know this corner area and i kind of snuck up and i had, was like oh this is going to be great i could see right down he's going to be right there and at the time the person next to me elbowed me and said oh, look who's standing next to you and bob happened to be standing next to me and i introduced myself so that got, got next to him by accident fine. <laughs> excuse fine. me Good mr gosh. stein i'm I was (laughs) expecting that. Hey, how you doing? I'm Tim. And they go, Tim who?
3: (laughs) I did not say that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. You are
1: the artist. (laughs) Oh well, again, gentlemen, it was uh, it was a detached collaboration, but uh, history and the fandom have, have proven it, it, it's absolute worth and uh, the entertainment value. And and well, it
3: worked so well, and you know, Patty, I was, I had, I was writing the books, and he had to do the painting for the cover at the same time the book was being written. They weren't even finished yet. Yeah, and we would send Tim like a little paragraph saying what the book might be about. And in every single case, he got it right. He had the right cover, except for one book. There was one book where the cover had nothing to do with the book, and that was Say Cheese and Die, which (laughs) is about these kids who discover this evil camera, and the camera takes photos of bad things that happen in the future. And Tim's cover painting came in, and it was a family of skeletons barbecuing. It didn't quite match. <laughs> it didn't quite match. The only time it ever happened, and of course they called me, and, and they said, uh, Bob, uh, could you add a scene with skeletons barbecuing? Because Tim, they wouldn't ask Tim to change the painting. Right? <laughs> you don't do that. I, yeah. and you said, could you write a scene with it? And I actually, I wrote a dream sequence. The okay. kid has a dream about kids' but family barbecuing. And that's how we made it work. All right. No, that's that great. And, and to, to in Tim's defense, you were,
1: you were writing those things at a rather frantic pace. I believe you're, you were able to push one out in
3: 10 days? Well, two weeks. I, I, okay. I was writing. I, how did I do this? I was doing a Fear Street and a Goosebumps every month. I was that? writing two, two novels a month. Wow! I, now I don't know. I don't know how I did it. I, I was a lot younger, but uh, and I didn't get out much. To tell you that <coughs> much. <laughs> but yeah, it was a very fast pace for a while. It, uh, it's funny because we had a
1: conversation about the pulp character, The Shadow, and, and writing like that reminds me of the pulp days when guys like Gibson and those guys, were, they were just furious at yeah. pace. But the quality, though, maintained. That was the amazing thing about that. So, yeah, I, uh, kudos well, to you for, for maintaining
3: that schedule for as long as you did. Well, I had been writing for 20 years and nobody had noticed. And I think to have that kind of success was so exhilarating that that's what kept me going. I ran into somebody at the Edgar Awards. I'm trying to remember what book. He, he wrote a book series. I forget what it was. And he said, I'm cranking them out. I'm cranking out the series. And I said, oh, really? How many? What are you cranking out? He said, one a year. And I just had to walk away. <laughs> one, <laughs> one a year. He's cranking it out. <laughs> Forget it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go talk to the Game of Thrones guy about his schedule. Uh. <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for humoring my questions. Uh, we are good to go on our audience questions, so I say let's go ahead and fire up our first one. And this is going to come from Dustin, who wants to know, what's the earliest Halloween costume you can remember wearing,
3: if at all? I, I can answer that, because it was humiliating. Um, my my parent, I wanted to be something really scary. I was this kid. I wanted to be a mummy, a ghost, a skeleton, something scary. And my parents went out, bought my brother and me costumes, and they came back, and I opened the box. It was a fuzzy yellow duck costume. And I had, my family was very poor, and I had to wear, they can get a new costume every year. And I had to wear this yellow duck costume with a fuzzy tail every Halloween. It was really humiliating. And when I went, when I wrote The Haunted Mask, that Halloween story about Carly Beth, who wants to be scary at Halloween, I put in the duck costume. I remembered it. And her mother gives her a duck costume. I actually got to use it.
1: Nice, very nice. And yeah. you're, uh, you said you're a, you're an Ohio lad. I'm from Columbus. Columbus, okay, yeah. I'm, am an Indiana kid, and yeah. <laughs>
3: uh,
1: Halloween in the Midwest is taken a little more seriously than in in, 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 throughout the rest of the country. So I, I sympathize with your plight because it was a it was bigger humility. deal, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Tim, how about you? Um. The one that stands out, the one that I can remember as an early one, my father used to was a creative guy and uh, he used to to make a lot of our costumes. And um, the one that I remember that we all had to wear at one time, because it was one of his favorites, was he did this Martian character and he made, you know, a breastplate out of cardboard and aluminum foil. But the, the thing that was the you know the the, the clincher was there was a, a metal spaghetti strainer that we would wear on our head and then he had two wires that came out and there were TV tubes on the end of the, the spaghetti strainer it was awesome looking So wow. <laughs> you're going to make R.L. incredibly jealous <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, don't, yeah, I don't know if wearing the spaghetti strainer is, is what's going <clears> to <throat> make envy
1: <laughs> uh, did you hear the part about the yellow fuzzy duck true, no. true that true <laughs> that Oh, wow. Very nice. Dustin, fun question to start us off with. Thank you. What do we have next? Ed, here's one from uh, Alicia. Or Alicia uh, are there any new young artists or writers that have caught your attention?
3: That's the kind of question that always stumps me. Yeah. I spend a lot of time looking at young adults and young, you know, Middle grade books and things, but I can never come up with anybody. This is an amazing time in children's books. Um, there are just, there's so many authors now uh, who are doing really well and such diversity. It's really a great, one of the great times for children's books. But I, I don't think I'll single anybody out. Fair. Fair. And I'm with you.
1: We, it is it's a long overdue uh, evolution in in the form uh, in terms of yeah exactly in terms of diversity and awareness and volume and yeah it's it's a buyer's market
2: and it it, it cuts uh, in, the, in the the art arena as well where you know years ago I would do a traditional piece of art and then I'd show it to my classmates or to my friends and then that piece of art if you didn't hang it on the wall ended up in the closet or under the bed or in the attic and now with the advent of social media everybody all artists can get their art out there and they can get lots of people's eyes on it and there isn't a day that goes by where you don't open up you know Instagram and scroll you get two flips and you're seeing somebody's artwork that is just mind blowing so it's a a great tool for that to get you know lots of eyes on a lot of different pieces of art Uh, absolutely absolutely every time i open instagram i end up following two or three more artists right exactly exactly and generally it's people that's like i i don't know who this is but i'm a new fan yeah exactly so alicia thank you fun question what do we
1: have next from alex what goosebump story and art are you
3: most proud of Ooh, that's another tough one. I, oh, I, I, oh, I'm asked this question a lot, and I usually say The Haunted Mask. I think that's my best Halloween story. And that's the only Goosebumps book that's based on something that happened in real life. Yeah. The only one out of all of them. Uh, when my son Matt was a real little guy, it was Halloween time, and he was trying on a green rubber Frankenstein mask and he pulled it down over his head. I'm watching from the doorway. And he pulled it down and he couldn't get it off. And I'm watching him, he's tugging and tugging. And I thought, what a great idea for a story. I should have helped him, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't good, I didn't win the Good Parent Award that day, but it's like a great idea for a story. I went, I started making notes. The mask sticks to his face and... and um, I'm, that's, I guess, that's the Halloween story that I'm most proud of. Fair, absolutely fair. Uh,
2: Tim, what cover? Uh, do you you know, it, it changes a lot. You know, I'll go from you know for periods of time liking one piece or liking another. Um, if you're asking me today, um, I I really liked Monster Blood Two um, because what we had kind of touched on earlier on was that Goosebumps was that combination of horror, but there was a comic element to a lot of the stories. And, you know, the mutant hamster that's in Monster Blood 2 uh, is funny and scary at the same time. Um, you know, with a name like Cuddles, you can't go wrong. And um, that was also the f- one of the earlier books where I started to play with warping the perspective uh in the art so you know when you would see ceiling tiles they would be twisted and and you know kind of an escher quality to it so you know and i started to use that trick a lot in in future covers so that one i think had all those classic uh, goosebumps cover elements in it
3: and uh, this is why tim's covers work so well because tim I caught on right away that this wasn't just scary these weren't just scary stories and if you look at his covers they're all scary but they're all funny at the same time yeah he he did exactly what i was trying to do in the books
1: yeah yeah they have that they have that great i call it the spooky aesthetic where it's like oh yeah the green slime and everything else it's just yeah yeah, that's that that version. But right, they,
3: they're absolutely not straight horror. No, no way. Yeah.
1: Right. No, no, no. It's it's it, it is very much the spirit of a of a of a kids version of of Halloween in this classic of form, which is just yeah. scary enough to be fun. So absolutely. And Alex, thank you. Wonderful question. What do we have next? From Jenny. What has been your most interesting source of inspiration, besides your son uh, wrestling with a Frankenstein mask, of course?
3: (laughs) I I steal from everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I I have have a lot of influences, Rod Sterling was a huge influence on me, and uh, Ray Bradbury is one of my idols. I would say I, I think the s- absolute scariest Stephen King novel I ever read was Pet Sematary. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's the scariest. I just love that premise. I've used that premise about five times. <laughs> I, you know, that's what I do, you, you, right? Yeah, and uh, I think you've got a record too,
1: but uh, you're a big fan of the old EC uh, Vault of Horror, Tales from the Crips.
3: Yeah, that's when I was a kid. I, they were around, and, I, you know, they talk about mixing horror and humor. I mean, that's where it came from. Yeah. You know, these were gruesome, horrible stories, and they all had a funny twist ending. Yeah. It was, it was that great combination. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. Tim, how about uh,
1: your most interesting story? Well, interest.
2: it's, it, yeah. you know, again, it, I, the cover art comes from a different place where Bob has to sit there, and he has to conjure up a story out of nowhere. Uh, you know, that's where it's coming from. I get the story, you know, I'm, I'm handed all the goods that he's describing. Hey, okay, here's what the story is about. Make it look cool. So it's not it's not it's not an inspiration type thing. It's a way to you know, you got to try to see what he's seeing and get it down on the paper and be able to convey those concepts or ideas. So uh, it's more about listening and being able to see the words and then see it in your head. Absolutely, Get it uh, the paper. In terms of art in general, um, what are some of your inspirations? Um, I was a huge fan and still am of Roger Dean. Uh, Roger Dean was the illustrator who did all the covers for an album uh, for a band called Yes, and um, they were. His art is not realistic. It, you know, it, it was one of those things where. You know, when you first learn art, you learn to draw the, you know, the banana and the apple in the bowl and make make it look exactly right. And all this stuff, art, <laughs> get that thumb up there. And um, his art was, you know, it was just so realistic. And it was like, oh, yeah, I should paint stuff that people can't see, you know, come up with thoughts and ideas and create Something that people can get, uh, get lost in and, and escape into. So, you know, I want my paintings to hang up and be like a window, you know, window to, you know, some other world that people can step into for a short time. Uh, very nice. Jenny,
1: thank you. Great question. And a reminder to our audience if you'd like to purchase a personalized autograph from our guests, please sign up at galaxycon.com and let's go ahead and roll another one. And here's one from Dawn. Was there ever any story ideas or character designs that the publisher said was too went too far?
3: Um, I can only think of one. Usually, my editors are I'm fairly conservative with this stuff, and usually they're saying, "Hype it up, make it scarier." Hmm. There's a very early Goosebumps book called The Girl Who Cried Monster. And it was about a girl who's spying on the librarian. She's back in the shelves, and she realizes that the librarian is a monster. And the reason she... In the original manuscript, the uh, librarian ate a kid. And um, they thought that might be going too far. Eating kids, they thought, might not be good. So I had to, I changed it. I put a big bowl of live turtles on the librarian's desk. And every once in a while, he would reach over and eat a live turtle. <laughs> and that's how the girl figured out he was a monster, which is better. Like, turtles are better than kid. They're crunchier. Much yeah. Crunchier, right? And but that's the only time I think I, that maybe I went too far.
1: I uh I you uh, eating a kid and going to turtles. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kids are turtles. As long as they're not kittens or puppies, that's that's crossing the line.
3: The kittens and puppies all fly in Fear Street. Yeah. They're always the first to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Indeed.
1: Uh and uh Tim, for your perspective, was there any time
2: that uh
1: maybe a little less this?
2: Uh, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a. This is too scary thing. I only got called out once. Uh, you know, again in the in the illustration world, usually you turn art in and people comment, you get it back and you make changes and you turn it in and sometimes it comes back again. And uh, with Goosebumps, I had a, a lot of free thinking and room to to do my own thing, and they hardly came back at all. And I think it was due to the fact that. Bob's cranking them out. I got to keep up. And it's, you know, they may have wanted to change maybe a couple of them, but, uh, you know, there was nothing outstandingly uh, uh, that stood out that they really wanted to change. Uh, The only one they sent back was uh, Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. And Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes uh is it you know an outdoor scene where you know there's all the the classic tacky stuff from the 90s that used to be in everybody's yard the pink flamingo and that that weird globe that you know everybody had on the pedestal and then some lawn gnomes and there were two lawn gnomes in the picture and there was the you know the the tough guy in the front and then there was the one who seemed to be a little less smart in the background and um he was picking his nose and we turned it in and everybody was laughing oh that's funny yeah let's leave him picking his nose that's great that's great and then just before it went to press they sent the artwork back and said yeah uh, we don't want him picking his nose so now in the final art he's moved out of his nose and he's scratching the side of his head so that was my big you know very very simple change not a big deal but it was way funnier the other way
1: but no, yeah, you know, okay, yeah, decisions, you
3: know. <laughs> no, it's yeah. hard to believe in this day and age that nose picking is what would be interesting.
1: At a model of possible, horrific criticisms that could have been levied at any given point oh, oh too, too much fangs too much too much, oh, sand, too much skeletons oh no uh, yeah. uh, a, a mystical creature picking his nose is the one they they they, they stick Yeah, okay. that's right <laughs>
3: uh
1: Don thank you very fun question what do we have next uh, from Chad <clears throat> ah what do you do when you're not working
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you do you not work bump What? I I live in New York City. There's lots to do, you know, normal times in normal years. See, now, no one wants to hear this. I mean, I live near Lincoln Center. We go to the opera, ballet subscription. But, you know, nobody wants to hear that about a horror writer. When you're a horror writer, people think your whole life is horror. And no one wants to know, oh, I like country music, oh, I yeah. like, no, no one wants to hear anything like that. That's a good. That's <laughs> would good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I go, back to my, I go back to my
1: coven and listen to, you know, King Diamond albums and- Yes,
3: right. Uh, Lie down in my coffin and yeah. wrap my cape around me. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's absurd. Uh crazy.
2: And uh, Tim, what are you doing in your off time? Uh, I work a lot uh, just because I like to do it. But uh, I also have the luxury of I still live uh, close to where I grew up and I still have a lot of friends from when I was a kid and when I was in high school. So whenever possible, it's great to be with people you've known your whole life who say mean things to you because they're allowed to. And that's what it's all about is, you know, having fun. And, um, just, just out with some friends last night on their boat, uh, out here in New Jersey. It's this part of New Jersey. It's beautiful. There's lakes and trees. And so it's a, it's a good, it's nice to get out of the studio. So yeah, if, if there's time off, it's way better to be outside. Uh, Agreed. And I'm glad
1: that, uh, we're out of the curious 18 months we just had, and yeah, we can start going out and being social again and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So. Yes, Chad, thank you, great question. What do we have next? And here's one from Dan. Hmm. What is your favorite scary story?
3: Um, I guess something wicked this way comes, the Ray Bradbury story. Um, <clears throat> just so beautifully written and so creepy, and I relate to it because it's about a boy in the Midwest. He sort of grew up in a suburb like I did and sneaks out of his house late at night, goes down a couple blocks where they're setting up a carnival, and the carnival turns out to be one of the most evil places on earth. Uh, I I always recommend this book to kids. I think it's very scary.
1: I, I, I would follow that up with, uh... The Halloween Tree.
0: Hmm. Yes. Of, uh,
1: I, I really, I really love that particular one yeah. for the exact same reason. Again, the midwestern elements to it, and the, the history yeah. of
2: Halloween, and right, right, yeah, I agree, I, I, agree. <laughs> I was gonna say so. Ah. I'm going to jump on the Ray ba- Bradbury bandwagon here too because when I was in uh, middle school and I read Fahrenheit 451, that one just that was a, an astounding, eye opening book. And uh, it was, you know, just very thought provoking. And as you know, the, it, it, we were finally moving from, you know, the the hardcore required reading to stuff like Bradbury, which was, uh, you know, way more interesting. And, you know, I you know, I still think about that book today. And if any in our audience is wondering, that's a sci fi
1: story. No, Fahrenheit for a 51 is a scary story. <laughs> 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 ah, you know what? This would be fun to throw this out. Uh, if you gentlemen were in that world, what book would you become? No, what book no, no. That, you, that you would you would commit to memory?
3: No, 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 no.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's too hard work. <laughs> Fair. You're too
1: <laughs> Fair, uh, Dan. Thank you. What a great question. Uh, let's go. We got time for two more. Let's see what we got next. Here's one from Sammy. Which do you prefer, physical books or e-books?
3: Oh, uh, I read both. When I'm traveling back, you know, when you can travel again, I always have a Kindle or an iPad or something, and I can take eight or ten books with me. But um, I I read I I read both both, and I don't prefer, and I don't get upset when you know kids are reading on screens or something. Yeah. I think that's perfectly fine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, there's something that's cool about a tangible uh, book. You know, holding it in your hand, the feel of the paper and all that stuff. But I'll even jump to uh, the third one where I've been. Listening to a lot of audiobooks because I can have it playing while I'm doing something else, you know, whether it's cutting the grass or even doing some work and be able to. to, to I like the idea of um, listening to an author tell his story himself and uh, hear it in their words so um yeah it's it's not the same as reading but it's uh it's still a good way to get some uh, you know i find that i'm able to get get through more books that way than if i said no 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 i have to sit and read and i i know my time's limited so this way i can kind of do two things at once fair Absolutely fair. Uh, I love audiobooks when I'm driving along long exactly. road trips. <laughs> you know, in traffic. you're not doing yeah. anything. You might as well learn something.
1: When traveling by plane, though, I enjoy the pleasure of an old beaten up paperback. Oh cool. I love a love bit old bass market. i'll I'll grab a random one. I haven't read in fifteen years, and I've probably forgotten everything about it. And I'm just uh, you know, yeah, I just love that. love that aesthetic. Sammy, mass, thank you so much.
3: Goodbye. That's my favorite format too. They're hard to find these days. <laughs> yeah, bookstores don't want them. No, you can't no. charge them.
1: No, it's it's they're yeah they 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 are kind of shriveling up, which is a shame. Yeah, so I think that. We have time for one more, and uh, my producer says we got a really fun one to close out on, on. So let's see what he's got. Ah, here's one from Andre, and Andre wants to know what gives you goosebumps.
3: <laughs> no, I hate that question. <laughs> 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 I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll give you a serious answer. I've had this past week. I've had a lot of goosebumps because people have been so nice and so wonderful about the Fear Street movies on Netflix. And um, the, the first Fear Street movie was the number one movie on Netflix for the whole 4th of July weekend. Nice. And now there are two of them out and they're both in the Netflix top 10. And it, it, that's just such a thrill for me that uh, the Fear Street readers and people are so loyal to that old series. And that people are enjoying it so much. Uh, that's been, that's given me a lot of goosebumps in the past week. I'm just so grateful to people for that. Outstanding. Outstanding. Number one, that's, that's, that's. that's yeah, unbelievable.
1: Wow. Yeah. And on Netflix, there's some stiff competition on, on Netflix right now. So, yes, absolutely, that's a feather in the cap. So, nice. Take, Tim, bring us home. What gives you goosebumps?
2: <laughs> uh, You know, it's funny. Goosebumps gives me goosebumps because if I was the right age to have read Goosebumps, I wouldn't have read them because I was that scared kid. I was afraid of everything. Everything gave me nightmares. I would go to the movies and I would walk out and call my mom on the payphone and have her come and pick me up because I couldn't get through the thing. So, you know, I, uh, I would have... I would have been probably not a Goosebumps fan, and here I am, the guy who gets to do the covers. So figure that out.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Farrell. That's that, that that's that's this business, you know. <laughs> you know, you're know, creative as a writer, or an artist, or an actor. It's just like you go in wanting to do one thing, and you find something along the way, and then it, it takes you down this road. So, and on behalf of myself and the audience, it has been a fantastic road. Once again, gentlemen, I thank you for I thank you for Goosebumps. I really do. I uh, I thank you for giving the the pleasure to uh, like all those young readers. I thank you for a time in the nineties. That was that was that was an odd time, and um, you got kids to read, and just that in and of itself is extremely noble. And
3: we love the the nineties
1: absolutely absolutely and Andre
0: that was a great so there you go man I hope you enjoyed that discussion I know I did enjoy listening to RL kind of reflect on everything Uh, our show is brought to you by HorrorPack I think I mentioned that at the front let me remind you at the bottom or at the end HorrorPack.com use code HORRIFIC save 10% on your subscription to the best horror subscription box in the history of subscription boxes now two more dates to keep in mind that are very important August 8th we're doing a live stream fundraiser for haunters against hate more on that to come and August 25th I believe more on this to come as well the season finale for Campfire Chronicles we will be doing a live meetup to uh, watch Candyman on the season finale so stay tuned to that uh, both of those and yeah thanks for listening early stay spooky